Welcome, Internet, to episode 125 of G.I. Joburg. I'm Steve, and I'm joined by the boys. Paul, that doesn't own a tank. Lobshow? <laughs> That's my best one. Kujo on the West Coast, who's ready to talk tanks. And who suggested this topic? My, my, my. Kujo, you never cease to amaze me, or surprise me for that matter. The topic this evening is called Surprise Tanks. What? <laughs> I've got tanks on the brain, guys. I've got a mauler. It has been a personal grail for some time, and it's finally in my possession after a rather roundabout <laughs> journey. And uh, so in honor of that, Kujo suggested we talk tanks. Tell us a bit about that, Cooch. I mean, it seems only natural. The tank that you want to speak on... Well, I'll just wait till we get into the subject matter. Should we talk some memorable names up front? Good idea. Uh, this week has seen the passing of someone who... If you are listening to this podcast, if you are a fan of G.I. Joe, he is a huge pillar of our hobby. The man's name is Russ Heath. He lived to a ripe old age of 91, I believe. But he has the distinction of having created pretty much all the animated uh, character and vehicle and equipment design sheets. Isn't that right, guys? Yeah, all the model sheets. Yeah, Yeah, that's correct. So if you saw G.I. Joe in the animated form, chances are you were looking at original Russ Heath designs, which were then taken on by animators both in the United States and in Japan, and then, you know, we we were watching their artwork, essentially. But that work was based upon the shoulder of an industry giant, a man who was already a veteran by the time he got tapped to work on Hasbro's little soldier toy. Mm. You said he did one uh, issue of the comic as well, is that right? Yes, Russ Heath was responsible for a cult favorite issue, and it's not difficult to see why uh, in the, the G.I. Joe Marvel uh, comic. Uh, issue number 24, The Commander Escapes, and the reason I say it's not difficult to see why, uh, it is just exquisite. Start to finish, the artwork is... It's something unlike anything we'd seen before, and it's something that hadn't been hadn't been topped since. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put it out there, man. This is how I see G.I. Joe artwork. Perhaps it's because he's informed by the look and feel of the cartoon, but given sequential panels to work with you're able to get a far more adult approach and i'd like to reference at this point an article that was written entitled remembering russ heath put out recently by uh, the author on a real american book if you are a fan of the blog a real american book or if you haven't heard of it i suggest you look at this guy's blog uh, he wrote a fantastic article on Russ Heath, and the word that he uses 
to encapsulate the feel and the the mood of Ross's panel work is Stead, as in S-T-A-I-D, mm-hmm. uh, because everything is quite calm, sedate, under control, professional. These characters are serious soldiers. It doesn't have the same, perhaps, cartoon flair that we're used to up to that point. And certainly, mm-hmm. after Russ's single issue, we were launched in the very capable hands of a guy called Rod Wiggum, who has an incredibly balletic action style. I mean, I think Rod Wiggum and I think of Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes rushing the Terradrome on Cobra Island, you know, with sort of fly kicks and mid-air leaps while swinging a sword and an Uzi at the same time, you know. That sort of action uh, is not so of Russ Heath's work, and I'd say Mr. Heath was all the better for it. I mean, I just... I love the mood that permeates his his artwork in this issue. It's it's beautiful. And incidentally, the inspiration for episode four <laughs> of the I Atlantis was Factor. Say. Yes. Launching yeah. a prefabricated fortress out of the back of a C one thirty is something that I've always wanted to recreate because it makes so much sense. You know, why would you have this static fortification? Why would the G.I. Joe HQ exist in its you know, accurate scale. If you're going to upscale it, if you're going to play it out to be a much bigger fortress, fine. You're going to have to just track down a whole bunch of micro-machine minifigures <laughs> to populate it, uh, to sort of ape the cartoon representation of the fortress, or the HQ, sorry. But in its actual scaling, as just a sort of a, a parking bay with armaments and armor plate, the G.I. Joe HQ from 1983 works best as this air-deployable fort. You know, you could you could put it in remote areas, as they do in issue 24, that they, they uh, drop it onto a, a remote mountain peak. Yeah. And you can create a base of operations very quickly, very efficiently, because it is prefabricated. It snaps together with, you know, just a team of, of Joes providing the manpower. Or Cobra, Cobra Commander. <laughs> it's brilliant. I mean, that issue, they set uh, Cobra Commander to work in creating his own stockade. It's, yeah. <laughs> and not to mention that the G.I. Joe HQ from 1983 is effectively a glorified stockade. It's got the computer section, it's got the garages, and it's got the landing pad. But, like, at its heart is a place where you can inter your Cobra baddies. I'm actually, I mean, I'm listening to what you're saying here, and I'm like... Okay, so the guy did one one issue of of GI Joe, right? So, which is is interesting because he is a fairly well, not fairly, a very well respected um, comic artist, especially from his time. You know, he he was doing um, a lot of work on stuff like GI Combat. Yes, Paul did his research. Um, he was doing a lot of stuff on like GI Combat and Sergeant Rock and those kind of books, those very popular military books. So it obviously seemed like a natural fit for Hasbro, or should I say Marvel at the time, to put him on a G.I. Joe book. But what I find interesting is that he's only done one. Now, in my research, I couldn't find out why he only did one, and maybe that's just because my Google foo wasn't strong enough to find articles or whatever. But I naively like to believe that he uh, was most likely tapped by Sunbow. He was part of the Sunbow division, building the character design. 
and that maybe Marvel wanted to inject something into the book that they felt was missing and maybe got him in to try to sort of change the flavor of the book, much in the same way as you get uh, one-shot or two-shot issues in a Batman run where Jim Lee has done the art. When I was reading, when I was quite a, a Marvel stalwart, uh, you would get Joe Madeira would come in or Joe, I, I apologize if I mess up his surname, but, you know, famous uh, famous comic artist, the guy who did Battle Chasers and pretty much made the Avengers look amazing, if you like his style. He would come in and do, like, issues of Wolverine here and there. And, yes, he was notoriously slow as a comic artist, you know, for the quality that he would get. He would get amazing quality. It would take a long time for him to do it. But many other pencilers that would fill out books three or four issues down the line would be trying to AP style. So Marvel would be like sort of chasing that. So would you say that the artists after Russ Heath uh, sort of pulled something from his style? Like would you say that G.I. Joe's comic books had changed? Like that definitely changed, shifted gears after he did that issue artwork-wise and and maybe panel-wise? Not in the immediate future. Mm. In the immediate future, uh, I think the art... Duties took a little bit of a backslide uh, as we get into the sort of the twen- the, the latter twenties of the run and the early thirties of the run. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, things things are they seem a bit rushed. You know, there's no consistency from panel to panel between uh, vehicle designs. Uh, the the sort of the technical specificity that Russ Heath mm-hmm. had, uh, you know, as, as a guy who very very obviously liked illustrating aircraft and vehicles and equipment and getting those lines absolutely and those minutiae absolutely bang on every time. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, as I say, the immediate uh, successor to him, a fella called Marie Severin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I then by so. that point, okay. I, I, I think whoever they had working with Hama, he preferred a grounded style. I think Russ Heath, even Michael Golden is... Oh, sorry, and and, uh, and Frank Springer, of course. Frank Springer is actually the one that that uh, was Russ's direct successor. All right. Timing is impeccable. But I, I think that they uh, they always... I know I know tanks have so many different parts, and I know that Russ Heath has some... Uh, has drawn a lot of them. So it's detail work. It's work that you have to uh, get right so the rest of the action works. But he did do a character that me and Steven have chewed on a little bit, Wild Weasel in 24. I think you've even mentioned Zartan getting the drop on Firefly and Wild Weasel. At least the colorist did Wild Weasel in kind of a maybe a blue-red mix or even a black. I, I think I think that would have made you happy, Steven. What do you think? <laughs> you read my mind. Yeah, it's it's a much needed addition to a, a figure that's too much too soon. And I get contrast, and I know the Rattler is a infamously dark blue aircraft, so you needed the red to pop in the cockpit. But the red could have been used uh, in alternation with blue, mm. and the colorist on issue 24 appreciates that and... Does something really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd love to see some some uh, wild weasel customs emerging uh, in honor of 
I'm not going to argue with the results. It just occurred to me a great way to do a flight helmet would be black and just make the helmet matte with the visor shiny, you know? Yeah, but they didn't really work in matte tones, at least not for uh, a real American hero. No, they didn't. Star Wars did. Well, I mean, if you look at a character like Wild Weasel, he's an ace, and he's fully clad in red. And, um, I can very quickly think of another ace that's fully clad in red. Uh, Richthofen never wore head-to-toe red. That was his plan, mm-hmm. buddy. Manfred von Richthofen? No, 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 not him. Um, I was thinking Shah Aznable, to be honest. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who have never watched Gundam before, one of the oh, coolest wow. characters, if not the coolest character ever, is a character named Shah Aznable. And he pilots a very famous red mobile suit. Um, in the series. In fact, uh, every one of Shaw's mobile suits are red, are colored red, or are brightly red, uh, red colored, because firstly, he's an ace. He's not as ashamed of being an ace, and he's quite, um, yeah, he's quite ballsy. And that design, when, when they came up with him in Japan, when they were designing the character, they did base the concept of that on the sort of Red Baron idea, the concept of, of the Red Baron, not directly on the Red Baron. So Shah always wears red, a red flight suit. Actually, to be more accurate, if you really want to get down to it, it's kind of more like a dark peachy pink. But let's not go there. <laughs> it's meant to be red. And he is badass. And there's this cute little thing in Japan uh, with regards to Gundam. And I'm just giving you guys some cool pop culture trivia now. In Japan, anytime anything is colored red, with Shah's color scheme, the joke is always that it's three times better than the normal version. So to give you an example, if they had a cell phone, if like Apple released a, uh, their iPhone 10, and then they did some kind of, and they'll never do this, but commemorative Shah, you know, colors, then the Japanese would joke that that phone is probably three times better with its battery life, three times better when it's connected to the internet, that kind of thing. So there's this joke, and it's even gone as far as to go into their, their sort of mainstream because there's an advert for a Toyota that they sell, and they actually did a Shaw Toyota, and it is actually three times faster than the actual production, the, the standard production model. So it's that kind of stuff. So anyway, I just thought that was cool. So guys, if you want to, you know, you can think that just because Wild Weasel's dressed in red, he is three times more dangerous than any other pilot. And that was completely fun and interesting for people who don't know Gundam. And for those of us who, who do, do watch Gundam, and I know that there's a bunch of you out there, I hope that I I, I learned you some new stuff. <laughs> that was next level. Paul, we we sit beneath you and, and, and wait for these pearls to drop. <laughs> All right, well, no, 90 years is nothing to sneeze at. 91 years. Thanks no, for drawing no. awesome G.I. Joe. Rip. Cheers. I'm not going to let you off the hook that quickly, Cooge. On the way out, let's just reflect one more time on issue 24. Do you have a particular panel that springs to mind that was a real masterclass? I mean, I think so. I mean, the one that we mentioned, uh, Firefly and Wild Weasel are really two of my favorites. So, you know, if Zartan's holding them up, that's a great shot. Mm. I'll go with that. Tricky with the, 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 the infamous barrels pointing sort of outwards, uh, the foreshortening of those barrels. Mm, I'm, I'm not above a little stylized art, as you know. 
Um, I think... I'm not critiquing it. I'm saying that he handled it particularly well because it is a damn tricky thing to get right. But it looks like Zartan is adequately covering both Wild Weasel and Firefly, and the guns don't look weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, mission accomplished. You know what else is not weird is Sergeant Slaughter's social media. Um, you know who Sergeant Slaughter is? He just had a birthday. Uh, I don't know how old he is, really. Um, <laughs> but, Older than you. <laughs> yes. But, look, this guy... <sighs> I love Sergeant Slaughter in the context of G.I. Joe and wrestling, really. But I see picture after picture of him putting people in camel clutches and choking them out at conventions. This guy doesn't mail it in. Like, if you tweet him, he's calling you a maggot. He's saying, give me 20 push-ups. That's just awesome. I, I really hope G.I. Joe finds a way to kind of bring him back into the fold, or at least he's doing yeah. a great job is what I'm saying. Awesome. I'd love to show him our graduation day video. <laughs> I, I hope somebody in his marketing team has stumbled upon it. Maybe what we should do is just put uh, Sergeant Slaughter in the tags, in the search tags. Oh, <laughs> the pressure. <laughs> Damn it. We should at least have a 1986 version. Oh, it irks me that I've got a 1988 Sergeant Slaughter Calling the shots with the the team eighty six. Hey, Sergeant Slaughter, Sergeant Slaughter. Doesn't matter what he's wearing, or whether his hat is removable or not. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I just wanted to reflect on something quickly. Um. And and this is sometimes like this is Paul's. I wish I was older in the eighties moment. Can you imagine how cool it must have been to be with guys like Larry Harmer and Russ Heath in the Marvel Studios? Can you imagine, like, the vibe? I mean, these two are gentlemen that, like, have been overseas They uh, uh, and, and fought in conflicts. They're both veterans. They're both working on a war book, you know, on, on a G.I. Joe book together. How amazing that would have been, like, to be in the, the bullpen at that time. You know, like, you've got these two very well-versed creators working on a G.I. Joe book. And I would have just... I, I would have probably fangirled myself out of a job anyway. Mm, you need to add to that, though, that their fame has come in retrospect. As no, children true. grew into, you know, adult men and women, and all of a sudden, you know, the things that they held dear as children were elevated, and the architects of those things became these gods in our eyes. You know, Homer is such a modest guy. And yet he's yeah. so instrumental to so many of us. The same thing with Heath and Trimpy, all these guys. But they, they just looked like they just had so much fun together. You know, it like what, what I'm trying to get at is is more like the there must be a, a distinct contrast between okay, like I know this sounds dick, but like with comics today, like you know you've got Larry Harmer doing a lot of the storyboarding or not a lot of it but he is known for doing some of the storyboarding on the books that he works on and you've got an awesome artist like Robert Atkins uh, you know who who really gets the visuals and stuff and I can't really speak of Robert Atkins war record not that he has to have one but um, but I'm just thinking of like back in those bad old days you know in the in the Marvel offices just being able to do a war book with people who have actually been there and, and don't have to speculate. They actually know what that shit feels like. 
well, and then trying to a... find a way to dissolve uh, to to distill it into something that's friendly for public consumption. Uh, it must have been really interesting, uh, irrespective of their fame or not. I just would have been like, wow, just because of how much I appreciate, you know, military and military and stuff like that. No. Well, anyway, it's just a, a just a party thought. Yeah. I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. No, no, you go, man. It's your. You must speak. No, I, I'm saying that there's a reason why some of us are doing interviews on every Joe talent we can find. You know, everybody brought something interesting to Joe, and and even the recent creators have brought interesting things as well. Um, let me talk uh, a couple names just that I might run into next week. Uh, you know, I'm always bumping conventions. This one happens to be Long Beach Comic Con. Uh, so that's kind of my home court, but I'm going to bump into Larry Houston again. Um, you know, he did the opening for the 1987 GI Joe movie. He was a producer on that. I, I think I might dig in a little bit deeper this time, maybe talk some Cobra law and you know why I'll see you on Thanksgiving. <laughs> the next name is Ron Wolfman. Oh, wow. I know that a name. couple episodes of the Sunbow series. So you know, he wrote a rubbing... couple episodes of the 80s <laughs> and 90s. That guy oh, no, did so many productions. So he's well traveled. Uh, he he created one of my uh, favorites in Marvel, and that's Black Cat. So I'm definitely gonna chat him up. The third name is uh, Joe Juan Joe Podcast. Joe Slepsky. Oh, but I oh, made his acquaintance. <laughs> hey, Joe. If you're kind of just spun out in pop culture, it's a great time. Oh. It's a great time to talk because there's a plane overhead. Rattlers inbound. Oh, nice. But it's a, it's a great time to pick up Hama's old books. Yeah, and Joe Slepsky is the uh, – he's, he's a perfect <laughs> companion for an American Hero reread. I think it's like three bucks a month. Think about that. Go back and read the Joe series, and you have a buddy talking about it with you. That's what you didn't have in childhood. So Joe's the right guy to do it with. about what was going on in the era under discussion is – par excellence his he was saying section yeah, it's riveting stuff man well i know we can all appreciate somebody who's well versed and he's as deep as they come and there's this is just a rumor there's a rumor that there's gi joe stories that have not been told and they're from a book called the black book there's rumors it's out there uh i don't know if we'll see it but uh that's a little teaser you were saying <laughs> it's just gotten brighter in my room that's weird. Brought the energy up. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm fired up. Awesome. <laughs> Should we uh, stop talking about in. dead legends and start talking about toys? Like living legends, like tanks. Yeah. <laughs> Before we segue into the main event for this evening's podcast... I would just like to hit the publish button on G.I. Joburg's latest uh, video featurette. It's uh, Road to Jocon Part 2, and this one deals with our time in Chattanooga. Woohoo! Uh, and teen pregnancy. <laughs> Sorry, I'm that's just the way you said it, and this one deals with. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, not jumping over power lines with your BMX. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's badong. Oh, there it is. I've just seen it pop up in my notifications. <laughs> Steve has dropped a YouTube bomb. 
Wahoo. Well, this is the one that hopefully people have been waiting for. Anyone who's taken any interest in our uh, ongoing adventure into Jovana, uh, this is the big one. This is where we hit town and the adventures that ensue in the final Jokon. Uh, wow, wow. The people, the toys. The people, the toys. It was something. It was something. <laughs> Mm. It was. I think you should just randomly respond to comments organically. I, <laughs> I have like a like P T T B. It's like post toy convention. No, it's actually it's still PTSD. Post toy convention stress disorder. Because can't explain that one. I keep going. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm gonna wake up tomorrow. Well, I'll I'll be like having I'll be dreaming or something, and I'll be like, okay, cool. Well, I got to get out of bed because we got to go to down to the convention hall, and I want to go and see what toys they have. And then I wake up and it's like, oh, it's Thursday, wonderful. <laughs> it's just it's just another day, Paul. It's weird. It's just like my whole uh, perspective on buying GI Joes has been seriously screwed up now and and changed because being surrounded by that many figures and and having them accessible to you has kind of it's just galvanized my approach to how I buy toys and what I'm going to be hunting for and that kind of thing. It, it, it seems weird. Like it shouldn't be like such a big thing, but it really does. And, and it still blows my mind. Like I've, I've been to a convention with stuff I actually wanted to get. <laughs> Fancy that. Not just stuff you wanted to get, but like absolutely everything that everyone had you wanted. In some way, yeah. shape, or form. Like, there is not a yeah. single vendor that didn't have stock that you could have, like, absolutely just, uh, yeah, ransacked if you had the means. Exactly, you know? Yeah. I want to know from you, Paul. Yeah. You and I both, uh, well, the, you, me, Cujo, Rob, everyone went to Chattanooga with some kind of hit list. I know, Cujo, you were after a worms officer. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. It didn't really work too out. Too hard. Too hard. <laughs> but, uh, Paul, what was on top of your hit list? I really wanted to go and get myself an MCC. That was like, that was something, I even made sure I had a travel bag big enough to fit an MCC in it. That was like, if I was going to come home with anything, it would be an MCC. So, when I saw them at Kokomo, I think they were $200. I was really, really close to dropping dollar there. Okay, fine. I wouldn't have been able to eat anything because I was still waiting for my paycheck and everything to come in. I would have used the very last bit of my actual personal money. Um, but I was like, no, no, no. I'm just going to hold out till I get to JoeCon because I'm sure I can haggle, find one, haggle one down, whatever. Um, so the MCC was on top of my list. Another thing that was quite high on my list was you got... You guys are probably going to laugh, but, like, Doc's arm. <laughs> I have been so shattered since I broke Doc's fingers on my original Doc that I had to go and get Doc's arm. And then crotches for figures, that was quite high on my list, like, finding crotches. It is weird. It's like, that's what it became. Like, it became, like, find all these weird small things that are impossible to find on the Internet. Or just impracticable. I mean, like, if you've got yeah. it all there... In front of you, yeah, these yeah. bits and pieces, these odd, odd bods, these weird things that you wouldn't want to go to the outlive, finding on eBay, having shipped like yep. individually, and yeah. cobbling it all together, like to get it all in one fell swoop. That was that was a great like, yeah, secondary or tertiary function of Jocon. 
But I got, exactly. your, I got your top one out of you. It was the MCC and uh, mission accomplished. You got one. Yeah. Congratulations. My Yay. top one was the Mauler and mission accomplished. I got one. <laughs> and that's why Cujo has indulged me this evening with uh, the surprise tanks topic. We didn't really explain it up front, but uh, Surprise Tanks is a conflict that will rage between my Mauler and a Surprise Tank contributed by Cujo and by Paul. It's a three-way yeah. death match where we know who the protagonist of this conflict is. Naturally, it's my Mauler. Uh, but we don't know who he's up against. No, we don't. Gentlemen... Is it time? I think it's time to get our tank on. Firstly, let's define the environment. Okay. Yes, let's let's get some let's get some uh, Topography. relatability. Topography, thank you. Like, yes. <laughs> well, I I'm I'm gonna uh, stack the deck somewhat and say, given the Mauler's desert styling. I am envisioning a Operation Desert Storm, you know, oil field slash desert floor with some, you know, hills and sand dunes, maybe one or two man-made structures, maybe maybe some oil uh, silos. Do you call them silos? Uh, we are today. <laughs> nice. We can, we can call them silos today because I don't know what they're called. Oil tanks. Pontoons? Sorry. Oil, I, I don't oil know. tanks. tanks. An oil tank. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And other structures associated with the production of oil. Maybe some derricks, maybe some pipelines. Basically, a a pretty uh, open plain. Lots of mounds. Lots of space. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Palm trees and maybe a distant sea. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I have the same problem with the battlefield as I do with the Mahler. Mm. And that is Desert Storm. You just could not market that shit. But I don't really... The tan doesn't excite me. And, like, okay, this is... If you want to go Desert Storm, I'll I'll meet that. I'll say quarter-inch brown shag carpet. Uh, you got some <laughs> towels folded up. You haven't, you haven't picked up your laundry. There's some shoes asunder. So you got a broken battlefield. I can work with that. Nice. <laughs> Nice. Cujo, bringing it into the real. For those of us who didn't have a cool desert complete with oil tanks. (laughs) Just in our backyards. The oil as you spill the big gulp. Don't step on it. Damn. What armor are you boys bringing to the party? Ooh, I thought you would never ask. Um, I am bringing an equalizer. That's right. Oh my goodness. Right, I know you were expecting something ridiculous like a fury, but I wanted to bring something that's unmistakably a tank. It's a tank tank. It's not a tank like a Mauler or a Mobat is a tank, but it's still more of a tank than other things in the Joe line are. So I brought a tank tank. You'll be very happy to hear this, listeners, that this tank has no glass whatsoever. <laughs> it's a tank tank. It's not sci-fi. It's legit. Would anybody be interested to hear who I'm going to have crew said equalizer? Sure. Is it a team of marauders? It is not a team of marauders because uh, they're great, but 
a lot of the marauders are not tank specialists. But you know who is a tank specialist? Steeler is a tank specialist. So I'm going to have Steeler commanding this bad boy. Steeler's got a few problems with command structures, so I have to put him at the top of the uh, of the pyramid. But that's okay because he's middle class, I'm middle class, and uh, I can relate to him. And he knows how to work hard and and kick ass. And he's been playing in construction equipment his whole life, and so he he knows how to use a tank. He doesn't necessarily have to be married to a mobat. Second in command with him is going to be Dodger. That's right. Ooh. You hated him in Battle Force 2000. Now you're going to hate him in my Equalizer tank. Why? Because <laughs> the Equalizer, <laughs> the Equalizer is actually kind of, um, you know, zhoosh. It's it's kind of sci-fi. It's tripped out. It's got some very cool uh, things going on. And I need somebody who is technically minded to to handle some of these things. In fact, I need somebody who's so technically minded that when they look at these things, they think this is analog and cool. So Dodger is my guy. And... Um, just so that I have somebody who's just on a little bit of damage control and can actually do some damage. And let's be fair, it was unfair to put him in in the vehicle that he comes with. But good old Major Storm. Major Storm? Who is that, you ask? Well, <laughs> if you go and find dig up your G.I. Joe General, he's the guy that sits inside there. <laughs> he's actually a really badass tanker. Mm. And he needs to be in the equalizer. He's our, our artillery guy. He's the... He knows how to assess a battlefield. Hmm. So, <laughs> that's his he, riding my tank. Incidentally, he outranks Steeler then. Uh, he does. He does outrank Steeler. But I, I think, um, well, when I, when I put him in his position, I figured that I can't have Steeler working underneath somebody because he's just going to argue with them all the time. And hmm. that uh, it's very possible that Major Storm would just like to sit back and do what he does best because he's been so used to moving this giant monstrosity of a G.I. Joe vehicle around that has very little tactical significance. I mean, he literally doesn't even have to think. He can just drive over things. You know, like, oh, his tank, drive over it. He doesn't have to be smart or outmaneuver stuff in a general. So I Mm. think he's enjoying the challenge. I mean, this is meant to be a friendly sortie. So... Who said that? (laughs) This is no quarter drawn, none given. Like, this is all our death. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Sorry if you all are die. <laughs> Kujo, who are you bringing to the to the uh, the death match? I shall enter the fray now, gentlemen. I think I'm going to mention an old school tank. Uh, I think everybody knows what it is, but let's put fresh eyes on it. You never seen this thing before. It looks like a black Corvette on tank treads. It's faster than any tank you've seen. It's got plenty of personality. This is this is my question about the Mahler. What, where do the people sit? Are there, are there going to be good conversations if they do a direct hit? With the hiss, I'm going to leave Silverface on there because he's on the box and we all were like, what the hell is he doing on there? But uh, you got the regular just hooded face trooper in the gunner seat, by the way, two Diablo cannons. To mm-hmm. me, those feel like uh, laser Whatever guns. Yeah. Does it, doesn't that feel like a laser gun to you? It does. It does seem like a laser gun to me. I mean, it's a bill cannon. So. What I see is the hiss tank flying around, and the gunner just taking pot shots with straight laser beams. So it just cuts into the earth where it hits. You know, kicking up mm-hmm. dirt. I, I'm curious about Stephen. Has two seats on the Mauler, or do you have people that ride on the back? 
I kind of like the idea of, you know, a tank, tank combat uh, being one where everyone's buttoned up. Uh, so I don't like having infantry positioned on the, f- on, you know, on the foot pegs. Uh, at least not when tanks are engaged with other tanks. If you're moving pe- personnel from A to B, a tank can be a great utility because it's got, you know, wide open spaces all over it. You can have guys hanging off, you know, r- riding the the cannon turret if if needs be. Um, that's <laughs> that's not outside the realm of possibility. But for the kind of uh, incursion that we're we're uh, cooking up, I'd say. The only personnel are the ones within, and I would expand it to have a third member, but, you know, obviously the toy can't accommodate that, but, like, if we're talking about modern battle tanks, the mauler would have a third person. It would have a driver and gunner in the two seats, and then the commander would be in a cupola on top, you know. Sort of riding the the turret, as it were. And there are sculpt elements that that suggest this. You know, there is what would be a cupola. If GI Joe scale was one to twenty-four, then I'd say there's a, a hatch on top of the the mauler. But at one to eighteen, no, you can't fit anyone in there, and there's no hatch that would conceivably uh, <laughs> allow anyone in or out. So you don't want us to give you the benefit of the doubt? No, 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 I do, I do. I would very much like okay. uh, my personnel to be as follows. Driving it, you're going to have the included guy. He knows how to put his tank through its paces, so heavy metal is a natural choice. But he he is a cog in the machine. I wouldn't say he's got necessarily the best strategic mind. I mean, he's a tanker for sure, but... You need someone who has a few more strings to their bow, uh, calling the shots, I'd say. The gunner, this is where things get interesting for me. We have a single-carded character from 1985 who was a tanker and then became disillusioned with uh, driving around in battle tanks when he realized exactly how powerful portable weapon systems had become. But I don't think in all his years as a tank operator, he got behind the controls of something with the, the level of crew survivability that the Mauler has. So maybe, just maybe, G.I. Joe's sophisticated battle tank could entice Bazooka back into the weapon systems of a battle tank. So he is your gunner. And who's calling the shots? Well... <laughs> I decided that uh, the Wolverine is not a tank. It's an artillery weapon. Give G.I. Joe's lady tanker a real tank to drive, please. So in command of my mauler, we have none other than the lovely but lethal cover girl. And it's at this point that I'd like to say that I made the acquaintance of a female uh, tank driver, tank commander, sorry. She commanded, I think five tanks how many tanks are in a tank squad damn i really need to have her on this podcast because well i don't know i can't call it a division i don't know it's 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 a you know small squad first i know it's a column group a column of of about Mm. five tanks anyway she that was her i think i think that's the collective noun sorry okay Okay. yeah she was in the she was in the dutch 
military and she eventually quit because she wasn't being sent over to uh, Iraqi freedom or any, any of the conflict and zones. So she's shoot. like, oh, this is boring. <laughs> I'm out of here. We just go on maneuvers and we never actually go overseas. So, but I mean, it, it just goes to show like lady tank operators are, you know, they're proliferated in the army. I mean, she's, she's a fantastic template for cover girl because she's tall and strong. She does Muay Thai, but she is gorgeous. <laughs> I don't know if maybe, maybe I was losing my mind a little bit at the prospect of the fact that this attractive woman in front of me was a tank commander. Maybe that kind of enhanced her appeal somewhat, but like, yeah, she is a beautiful woman um, and statuesque, as I'm sure you know most people who uh, realize that the stereotype about the Dutch is true—that <laughs> they are, are one of the tallest nations in the world and no slouch in the gene pool. I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I enjoy being in a relationship, but I think <laughs> even Merck can attest to like strong, empowered women in the military. Uh, they're lookers. Which is not to say I'm I'm advocating objectifying lady soldiers. I just mm. think that it's it's certainly part of their allure for me that they can be strong and feminine and in a tank. In a tank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's a, it's it's wonderful. Uh, yeah. I don't even know what objectification is anymore, but. This is what I am curious about. So you got Bazooka in a tan tank. You can see in other his words, shirt. She had great tits, Cujo. Oh my god. <laughs> There's objectification for you. Um, you got bazooka. bazooka. We mean the GI Joe. Carry on. <laughs> you got Bazooka in a in one of those hatch seats next to uh, the tank driver. Yeah. Heavy metal. Mm. With or without okay. its included microphone, I don't know. I mean, the aftermarket on originals is ridiculous. Do you like how the the characters' colors match up with the tank, or is that a consideration? I like how the tank can completely enclose Bazooka, so you'll never see that football jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't think that their camo should affect anything because there's no glass canopies on any of the uh, of of the tanks, except for the hiss. Um, the Hiss uh, is sporting a nice red jersey there, so you better make sure you can move. Um, but the thing is, it doesn't matter. I think the only time your camouflage in a tank matters is when the tank is stable and everybody's sitting on top of it. <laughs> so, you know, and then like catching some rays and getting something to drink and not being inside the death cupboard. Well, who do you think, uh, where do you think your strengths lie in this one? Because obviously the Hiss tank can fly around. I'm sure it could touch up some of your armor. With those Diablo yeah, cannons. That, let's rephrase this quickly. What has the His Tank got? The His Tank has and go. Well, I think what it has is just, it's like a Hornet. You know, it doesn't have too much firepower, but that thing does swivel 360. So. I want to understand the effect of laser fire on thick armor plate. Does it have to be sustained in order to do damage? I mean, we're talking about conventional armor meets science fiction weaponry. This is something that would only happen in a G.I. Joe-esque encounter. Conventional tank armor is designed to redirect the impact and the blast of armor-piercing shells. Sure. How that would interact with a energy or light weapon, 
boggles the mind, which is why I always thought that the Diablo cannons were 30mm shell weapons. But if they're lasers, sure, power to you, man. Let's talk about that. I think cool. for me it's more exciting as a laser. You could be right. No, no, no. Let's play it as lasers, man. This is this is interesting. I think okay. I, I think this oh, is yeah. on Netflix right now. But if you remember that that movie Real Genius with Val Kilmer back in the day, which actually still plays pretty well, they had a laser in that. And I think what would happen is, like, let's say that the his tank can go maybe 50 miles an hour if the train's right. You guys are moving it around at like, you guys are like adats compared to this thing. So. <laughs> He could basically start tanks are pretty fast. touching the laser on your your metal plates on the flyby, and it would start cooking the people inside your tank. You know, mm. Mm. might need to hit hit the tank uh, repeatedly and in more or less the same grouping to have that effect. Though, maybe. Yeah, because tank, tanks are very susceptible to heat. That's not that's not a lie, and we are in the desert, so. We have to all, all of us would have to deal with um, clogging. Well, how does uh, the Mauler deal with speed? Like with that one huge gun, what do, would you just try and gauge, try and get ahead of your target? Uh, the Mauler doesn't have a bad off-road speed. Uh, let me call it up for you. This is according to the G.I. Joe Order of Battle. Uh, Mauler can move at... 37 miles uh, cross country. Wow. I assume it's in miles. They don't actually indicate on the, the order of battle, unfortunately. But that's that's a that's a pretty respectable speed. 65 miles on uh, on road. What you say about the his tank? Pretty nippy. The his tank I can call up for you in a hot minute. Thank you, brother. Oh, the his tank can do 75 miles per hour. It doesn't oh indicate whether it's on-road or off-road, but given the high rise of the treads, I'd say, yeah, it's it's probably going to be able to do, as you say, around 50 off-road easily. I say the, the his tank's not going to win, but <laughs> the, that little Cobra officer is going to land some nice hits. You guys will have to decide how much, but... And he's getting a, he's getting some awesome pats on the shoulder from CC. So, you know, <laughs> you know, it's probably his best day ever, even if he goes down in flames. Of course, Cobra Commander, you know, opens the cockpit, and his driver's like, "You know, I'll fight till the last breath." And he's like, "Yeah, I know, I've seen your card." And then uh, he takes off. <laughs> he takes the important stuff. Double fisting and it. And then he takes off. <laughs> Two tanks <laughs> left. I, I don't know, Cooch. I think you're selling yourself short, man. The his tank, mm. I mean, as with all Cobra weapons of the era, are designed as quick strike vehicles that perhaps uh, would need a numerical superiority to really win the battle. You know, they, it's it's an overwhelming kind of assault weapon, like a Blitzkrieg style. You know, you just absolutely swarm your opponent and annihilate as you go. So, I mean, it's not designed to, to have much survivability, which is why it favors speed and high visibility. Like, both positions give you such excellent visibility. They don't even need optics. The guy's basically flapping in the breeze. He can bring his guns to bear on anything he wants, anything that he can see. Whereas, you know, visibility for buttoned-up tanks has always been a big challenge to overcome. To get a good battlefield awareness 
when you're looking at little sort of video screens inside a hot, uncomfortable, cramped cockpit. Yeah, look, I mean... Laser, huh? The the analogy with the sports car that you made with the His Tank is absolutely apt. It is definitely the sports car of armored vehicles. So it's got all that style. But, yeah, look, I mean, one shot from the uh, Mauler's 105mm cannon and that thing's toast. Um, mm. It just still is the standing question, what kind of damage can his tank's Diablo cannons do to Mauler armor, and how quickly can it penetrate or hit something vital? I think the yeah, Mauler's pretty weak <laughs> from behind. Like, that engine block back there all. is... <laughs> that engine block back there is, is uh, certainly... Uh, Probably the weakest armor of the whole affair. If the removable engine covers anything to go by. Yeah, and a lot of its air conditioning is at the back as well. Mm. Like, and it's, it's it's not adequately sloped back there. Everything mm. in front and the, the low-profile turret top is very very sloped and very uh, you know good at directing the energy of incoming shells away, which yeah. is a critique that I have for your equalizer, Paul. If we're to mm. switch switch tanks quickly, yeah, it changes that dynamic. Yeah, no, that tall central turret is a very big weak spot, which is why yeah. I would say you've picked an anti-aircraft weapon more than a frontline battle tank, buddy. I hear you, but there is a reason I did choose this because oh, okay, of, let's have it. One of, okay, so one of the equalizer's strengths um, lie in its detection capability. It's got a lot of emphasis put on its ability to find, you know, to have like heat sensing. Um, it's got, you know, it's got some kind of radar with sonic boosters. I don't know what that means. I can just imagine that it's some kind of sonar. Are you reading the blueprints? <laughs> I am reading the blueprints. Uh, I want to make sure that I get the stuff down because I couldn't. I also can't find anything else for it. And I'm gonna also be fair and say that it might be slower than the Mauler to a certain degree because. It's actually carrying a lot more load, but it has got a lot of detection equipment. So it's kind of a situation of once it knows where you are, it can get to you very quickly and, or actually it can, it, it can send quite a lot of damage your way. And with somebody smart behind the, its targeting capabilities, it would, it would serve well in, in sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Guessing its opponent's movements. Because, uh, I mean, you've got one missile that can go up, you can redirect your your opponent, and then, you know, you can redirect them into a place that you actually want to hit them in, and it can do that. That's something it, it can totally do, because it, I think it's got a much bigger range than the Mauler, in terms of, like, the Mauler, I think, still needs to get fairly close, and when I say close, guys, I mean, like, within... About five kilometers. Yeah, I was going to say, like, within That's a meter probably the to maximum five... range of that gun, yeah. Yeah, and I'd say with the equalizer, it's got a it's three a, miles, folks. Yeah, <laughs> and the equalizer has a, a I'd say double that because uh, these missiles on that it, that it has are supposed to be well, they say I think they did say they yeah they surface to air missiles, um, so it's based it's an effectively a SAM site, but you know, it can still I'm sure that can still be jerry rigged a little bit. It's yeah, let's be... GI Joe things up. I mean, I'm pretty sure yeah. you can use them as uh, anti-armor missiles. Hmm. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. Yeah, and then the thing is, for the most part, both of them are equally armored. Uh, the Equalizer, I will agree, has some weaknesses, structural weaknesses. 
and if the equalizer does have to get in close, it's got those very, very scary M80s. The, those like I'm gonna guess that they also like a 30 mil cannon uh, on the front there, Gatling gun type thing. And if my experience with any with mech with mech games has anything to do with it, and when I say mech games, I mean something like Armored Core, which uh, tends to be like the Gran Turismo of mech games. It tries to be very realistic. Uh, I would say that being able, if you're close, having a very fast weapon like a Gatling gun actually serves you better than having a very big cannon because if you can strafe your enemy and keep your guns locked on them eventually you can you can sort of dominate with the heat and uh, the repeated shell damage i mean and eventually something's going to break uh, in the opponent and the firing rate on the equalizer is quite a bit higher than the mauler unless there's something about the mauler's fire, firing rate i don't know well, let me pose this question. I think, at least for now, the Equalizer has the edge in personality, which I would say is the Mahler's weakest point. Do you have any words to dispute that, Stephen? Is there something about its design that sticks out? No, I think, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to dispute that. I think the Mahler's the best looking of the three here. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, but you get a character up top on the Equalizer. I think when you speak character... <laughs> I think Paul uh, really handicapped himself by not bringing the Sarge into this fight. I mean, <laughs> had he had the Sarge in the, the cupola of the uh, of the Equalizer, he wouldn't even need the tank. He'd hop out of the top, run over to the Mauler, and start, you know, punching it. Or just basically, like, rip open <laughs> the hatches, pull heavy metal and uh, bazooka out, and, and commandeer the vehicle for himself. Uh, he'd uh, give Covergirl a spanked bottom and send her on her way. We're not objectifying women here. Carry no, on. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> Especially not with a name like Covergirl. Honestly. Yeah, exactly right. Domino Harvey. I love Ron Rudat's quote in The Toys That Made Us when he's describing her design and he's like, oh, I, I just undid the top button a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you're yeah, like, Ron, you're burying us, buddy. Guy, oh man, it's brilliant. Character, yeah. Look, the Mauler is a comically like uncharacteristic GI Joe vehicle. Even the box art depicts it driving away. It's like the camera is positioned towards the back quarter of the tank, and it's like this is an interesting angle, but it's perhaps not the most heroic or triumphant angle to see this tank, and just seeing the back of Heavy Metal's head, which is then his uh, character portrait for the file card. Very interesting choice. And then, once again, like, issue 50 of G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero from Marvel, has the Mauler on the cover, but it's once again, like, kind of driving away. (laughs) Not in a very heroic or action-packed position wow so yeah i think it's a tank that has always been cheated as just being a tank and never getting center stage i think it's infamy or it's fame whichever you prefer stems from the fact that it is a difficult vehicle to complete and yeah my my journey to get to this point of actually owning one in good nick 
is testimony to that. It's been on my YouTube saved searches for like a decade. And it's just been a very disappointing, constantly recurring... Oh, you mean eBay saved searches? Yeah, eBay saved search that I would revisit from time to time when I was feeling daring. And I would just see one or two completed listings that were going for sorbent prices that would still have issues. You know, they'd have a broken tow rope or the motor's not working or, you know, any number of problems that would detract me from wanting to put my money on the line. I actually had to go and see one in the flesh to actually purchase it. It was not something that I would ever be able to do online. It's just, Mm -hmm. that's the nature of the beast. And that's that. To come back to your question, Curtis, that is its character to me. It is something that, and I am not a tank enthusiast. If anything, I'm first and foremost an aircraft enthusiast. I love the planes. I love the freedom that you get when you pick up a GI Joe or Cobra aircraft and swoop it around. It's beauty. You know, you're cutting through the sky. The shark has always been a favorite of mine because it marries two of my favorite pursuits, and that's you know the sky and and that amazing transition that happens when you take a GI Joe vehicle and plunge it underwater it just the way the water interacts with the toy just it's always going to be a a magical moment for me so the shark has always been up there uh tanks have never held that kind of appeal so it's in spite of this like rather dour genre of vehicle that being the armor an essential backbone of any armed forces but not perhaps the most exciting to me it's against that backdrop that this thing rises to the top as like a beautiful piece, a quality piece, a sought-after piece, something that surprised me. Like, never thought I'd ever want one this badly, and yet it has eluded me for so long. I've imbued it with so much. So that's its character. I think people it's the, will it's see the one that almost got away. shortly. <laughs> I know how to win this battle. Basically, all I have to do, I don't even have to do too much damage to the mauler. I just have to shoot... The little rope on the side of the mauler, that like that cable, I just have to shoot it that it breaks or almost breaks. And Steve will be like, ah, uh-uh, and he'll pick up his mauler and be like, we're done. Game's <laughs> over. <laughs> Don't touch my mauler. I'm just putting it back on the shelf, which is something uncharacteristic of Steve, by the way. He normally puts all of his toys in the dirt, but the mauler is fragile. <laughs> so that that's how the equalizer is going to win. Because the equalizer is going to be like, I don't need no cable. I can break mine. I don't care. I'm just going to break yours, and then the battle's over. Then it wins, and it's, then it's done. Because then the model's incomplete, finished. <laughs> no, I, I, the I dramatic synth wave. You got a couple people crawling out of the, the mauler, out of the hatches, a couple high fives. People are checking. They're burnt different places from the, the metal on the tank. And uh, somewhere off in the sunset, Cobra Commander's shaking his fist. And there's a his we, tank driver shaking too. Can we just agree on one thing though? I, I would like G.I. Joe Berg to have this as a statement. The Mola is the best G.I. Joe tank. It is literally the coolest uh, in my eyes and, and very objectively I think it's the best toy, best tank toy in the line. Subjectively, from my opinion, I think it's beautiful. It looks very real world. It's it's just it's sexy as all hell. And it kind of reminds me of like Double Dragon because the Equalizer is player two to the Maulers player one. 
You know, they the equalizer's almost as cool as the Muller, but it's just not. <laughs> it's Luigi. But it does have better firepower. It's Luigi. Yeah, it's green, right? But they are. I think they are still the best looking tanks. They, the equalizer and the Muller, because essentially they're the same tank. wonder if you'd be able to put a dent in the Mauler's armor with those those twin guns. I don't think they're big enough, man. I don't know, 30 mils, I mean, it's difficult to say, it's like... Yeah, maybe with a, a extremely high rate of fire. You know, for instance, yeah. the, the, the weapon on uh, the A-10 is 30 mil. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it fires at such an extreme rate that... Yeah, it's just going to put such a weight of steel on target that uh, it's enough to penetrate the armor. Mm. The other okay. thing is, like with the equalizer, and this is uh, this is why I haven't really resorted to the strategy. It says on 14, it says laser projected grenade launchers with tractor beam target uh, locators. Now, I'm all fine with that. I don't know what they what they mean, to be honest, because I mean it's words, but. Uh, my gut instinct uh, with a tank is when I see that, I don't see that as a grenade launcher. I see that as anti-personnel or anti-detection. So it's either popping tear gas, uh, metal filings, you know, like so that it's difficult for personnel to breathe around it, or it's popping smoke or something. I don't see it as an offensive weapon. I see it as a def- defensive weapon. So if Sergeant Slaughter had to run to the equalizer, I would pop some you know, iron filings to choke them up, you know, but like, or some white phosphorus or something, but I don't see it as like a grenade launcher. So it's not something I would resort to as a, as an offensive weapon, but if there was a grenade launcher on this tank, it would actually make it even scarier because then you could be lopping off some like, like white phosphorus rounds. What do they call them? Whopper rounds on on the tank. Willie Pete's. There we go. So like, you know, you could drop some Willy Pete's. I mean, somebody could be sitting on the tank and blooping the mauler with those, and that would cause uh, considerable damage to the hull because that's heat and that's napalm and all of that that goes into that whole thing. It's just a very ugly weapon. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to have to rely on my Gatling guns and my long-range missiles, you know, with some Joe finagling. Are they Gatling it. guns? Ah, oh, come on. Not Gatling ball. guns, they're just cannons. They're just they're just cannons. Yeah. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. That, that, okay. that, 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 that's the firing rate. It's not like, like the his tank I'd imagine is like, you know, whereas this thing I imagine it going boom, 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 kind of vibes. I, I, I cannot confirm or deny whether or not, uh, those 30 mils could penetrate the armor. And similarly, I'm not entirely sure the missiles could penetrate the armor. Certainly you have a a further standoff range thanks to your missiles. But them being anti-aircraft missiles, I don't know. I don't know. If they are high-explosive anti-tank, maybe that's a different story. Maybe someone out there listening to this is a tanker, and you would know the effects of different weapons on armor. Maybe, Merc, you could help us out in that regard. Yeah, we want to hear it. I'm, I'm once again going to dispute the efficacy of your weapons on my Mauler. Whereas Mauler's big gun, once it's in range, and let's not lose sight of the fact that 
it's the only one that's motorized. <laughs> so uh, I can close on you uh, without having my giant manipulate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, can, you can go giant free. Yeah, all I can do is just wait for you to get close and unleash my biological spider hazard on you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone's going to have to wait for part three of Road to Jokon, the Jokon exfiltration, uh, to find out about your biological hazard. <laughs> but uh, something that adds to the Mauler's mystique. Okay, so the Mobat has seen re-release. The His Tank, we all know, has seen re-release. They were both mail orders for some time. And and then, obviously, into the 25th anniversary and beyond, we've seen those molds being uh, revisited. The Mauler... Okay, so it, it shares a lot of mold components with the Equalizer, obviously. But mm. as far as re-release is concerned, it only came close to re-release once, and it was cancelled. A green mauler was scheduled to come out in 2007 as part of the 25th anniversary uh, exclusives. Oh, why? What happened? I don't know, man. It's such a fiddly thing. It's motorized. It's got... And I will go into this further in the review that I have scheduled, but literally the mauler, as it came to kids back in 85, it was like... 50, five zero individual pieces of plastic. Wow. And two metal pins. You actually had to loop the tracks and link them. Wow. That's amazing. Each bogey wheel is two separate plastic pieces that you would clip together and then clip onto the uh, the floaters of the tank. You had to actually do that. <laughs> It wasn't pre-assembled. I can just imagine angry moms uniting and just returning this toy in droves because their kid couldn't figure it out. Shame on you, 80s child. 1985 was that extreme year, okay, yeah. where, to my mind, actually, the USS flag is probably the simplest of the lot, you know. Yeah. Like, the level of intricacy on something like the Silver Mirage is mind-boggling. This is just a road bike with a sidecar, right? Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> it's like it's more model kit than than toy. Yeah. yeah. Like you have to put the transparent headlights into the sidecar, into the bike, put the fairing on, put the windshield on the fairing, like tiny windshield. Marry the two halves together, like little a little pin that goes in to hold the wheel in place. Like what? So yes, it's 1985 was. Rockstar, yeah. Just to, to clarify for our listeners, yeah, we're not complaining. I actually think this is magical. Everything that Steve's saying now is just magical. It makes this line, it just it elevates the, the toy line to, to a level that I forgot existed. But then I remembered when I bought my Phantom and I had to assemble that and my Mamba, which weren't like the most difficult to assemble, but it's just... I remembered assembling them and then I was, and then not too long after that, I think I got the modern era snowcat or the snow wolf or whatever they call it. I can't remember the actual new name and it was already assembled and uh, oh no, no, not that. What did I get that it was already assembled? And it was like, oh, I just have to pop some like muscles on. Yay. <laughs> you know, danger so, at the docks vamp. Yeah. There we go. Mm. Pop the missiles on. Like, literally. Bonk. Missiles. Yay! <laughs> Pop the, the canopy on the Skyhawk. Dunk. Yay! <laughs> so, yeah. Yep, the era of blind boxed vehicles that you had to put mm. together because, you know, they didn't need 
to be completely plainly visible, complete in their packaging. Yeah, the demands were different back then. And mm. I guess what I'm trying to say when I sort of list the <laughs> parts numbers on uh, the Mauler is if you were a child in 1985 and you got this on Christmas Day and you managed to build it yourself and put the stickers on, man, that must have been a rite of passage. Something like the Mauler or the Whale or the Moray or the Silver Mirage. My goodness. Maximum respect. You were a pretty meticulous child. No, was... You were a Paul Loebscher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I wanted to just harken back to my uh, shame on you 85, uh, 80s child because 80s children, you know, we had these toys. We should be able to handle this shit. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Trying not to discriminate against the modern tablet-wielding youth of today. But, uh, yeah. Incidentally, we managed to turn one of the modern-era tablet-wielding youth of today into a toy-playing uh, human. Hey, Greg, <laughs> if you're listening, I believe your little guy decided to start taking out more toys after we had left. Uh, he had finally discovered the joy of uh, plastic action figures. So, yay! Uh, okay, I'll believe it when I see the posts. I think no, no, he posted flattering us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's, he's okay. flattering us. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Given the benefit of the doubt. So those posts have gone quiet all of a sudden. Is it back to Fortnite? Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, dun, dun, dun. It is free yeah. to play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No judgment here, man. Like, it's impossible. We can't compete. Like, the future generations will never be as touched by this stuff as, as we were because our video games sucked. I was just watching a documentary on the making of oh, Doom. video games didn't suck. <laughs> no, 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 okay, I exaggerate. But, like, I didn't need to play them all day because there was a sort of a limited time span. Yeah, they were difficult. <laughs> they were, we were difficult, like, exactly. Damn, they kicked you, your Dr. ass. Wiley, I'm going they, outside now. <laughs> exactly, they kicked your ass and they encouraged you to put it down for a while. Like, yeah. you're literally ramming your head up against a wall the more you try and complete that impossible level with only three lives and limited continues. Like, yeah, there were lessons in patience. And when your patience wore thin, G.I. Joe came to the fore. G.I. Yeah, Joe didn't wear thin. G.I. Joe's appeal was evergreen. Cujo, mm -hmm. for the sake of closure, are you saying that... Uh, it's the equalizer that runs away with this one. Mm, I think personality-wise, for me, it does. Okay. It's green. I mean, it's green. So that's that's a good start. They held off on the part of blue. But I need to remind you, we are operating in a desert environment here. Both of your vehicles will stand out like a sore thumb. And my guy can dispense smoke. Smoke and mine. To further mask its approach. My, Just mine hope that you run over a shoe and knock the batteries out so you're stationary. Well, here's the thing. The Mobat's battery box uh, would sort of shake itself loose. The Maulers is pretty secure, not going to lie. Foiled again. Ah. So, okay, okay. So you would have the Equalizer win? I don't know, man. I'm still going to back my guy. In terms of survivability, it comes on top. It's best suited for the environment. And, hell, guys, it is a main battle tank. You guys both picked, you know, oddball freak shows. Granted, you didn't have much to choose from, but... That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if I really wanted to go hardcore, I could have chosen the version 5 his tank, because that thing's got some meat on its bones in terms of um, 
damage, you know, damage dealing capability. But I wanted to be tank tank. I didn't want to be like pseudo sci-fi crazy tank because it was I don't tanks know, for... Paul, pseudo sci-fi crazy tank. It's it's just you know taking the his tanks uh, attributes and pushing them to the extreme. It has extremely floating treads. Uh, yeah. It has that central pod, which that, that, that thing doesn't look like it's got any, any armor at all. It's thin-skinned yeah, and all but terrain. But it's sure as hell faster than yours, and that's the nice thing. It can drive circles around you. It's got a missile launcher um, that really shoots. It's got <laughs> Gatling guns. It can dispense something out the back. I like to think it can poop out a bat if need be. In, in danger close situations. <laughs> For me to you know. just crush like uh, issue whatever the introduction of Doctor Doctor Brainwave. Well, it could just it could be like a, a sacrificial bat. You know, it's like a IED bat. It's, it's an it's an IEB. It's an improvised explosive bat. <laughs> it's a Sheet. bat with a big smiley face on its chest and a whole bunch of bombs on its backpack. No hands, nothing. It just comes running at you. Well, tell you what, in lieu of a actual conclusive answer from the three of us, I'm going to open it up to the G.I. Joe Berg Facebook group. And I why don't you do the same over on Twitter, Cooge? Done. We, we, once I publish this episode, we can launch the, the poll in conjunction, and we can have everyone tell us which tank comes out on top, the Mauler, the Hiss. Or the equalizer. Mr. I don't like social media. It's a good idea. Which tank tanks <laughs> and which tank doesn't? Is it time for the walk away? I think it's that time. What you got for us, Kujo? Um, I think a lot of the Joe, Joe community that's, that's at least on social media probably read a post dropped by somebody in the community that mentioned that they lost somebody. And the revelation from that was that they were wasting their time on a bunch of plastic. I'm speaking about it too tersely, I think, but I'm also a little elevated, so please pardon that. I'm just curious. Like, I, every everybody's passion evolves. I guess that's the question I'm leaning towards. Um, I'm not surprised when people walk away from GI Joe. Are you? No, I I I see it a lot in different fan fandoms. Uh, most uh, most notably video gaming, I see a lot of guys uh, getting into video gaming. Uh, they're very hardcore. They have like tons of games and whatevers. And then one day they just decide, nope, that's enough. They they're done with it and they they just move along. Um, they and they never touch video games again. And and I'm sort of uh, and I'm going to recall a an EGM article uh, by the then I think it was the one of the big writers of EGM. Or was it? Yeah, I believe it was EGM, where he actually said he is stopping video game journalism because he has stopped loving video games. Um, and he, it didn't happen overnight. It just sort of one day he just realized that he wasn't getting excited about games releases anymore. Um, things that used to excite him don't excite him anymore, and other things in life started appealing to him a bit more. So I don't know what the situation was in his life, but I mean these things happen and. And it doesn't surprise me because that's I think that's why you have geeks. I think that's why, you know, geeks are a subculture in the first place. Everybody gets into everything at some point. And the geeks are the guys that sort of hold on to that for a long time until they find something else to geek about. <laughs> you know? 
Kujo, time to stop being coy. Who wrote mm-hmm. the article? Who's walking away? Well, I'm not being coy. I just read it while we were talking. I don't think he throws his whole name out there, but I think I'm talking about Justin Bell. No? Hmm. And I think people can put down this hobby and set it aside, but I don't think you can ever fully walk away. It's too much a part of us. I think what some people are going through is perhaps plastic saturation. They are collecting because there's something to be bought. Not necessarily because the individual thing derive they derive much pleasure or excitement from that thing. It's like a, a completionist versus someone who actually treasures what they have. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I I hope I'm I'm not splitting hairs here because we've all enjoyed the thrill of the chase and it's difficult sometimes to discern whether the thrill of the chase is more exciting than the acquisition or the having itself Mm. is the anticipation more exciting than the payoff tricky i think in all things maybe that's true you know whether it's action figure collecting or sex (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i don't know if you're speaking about like a cycle like things come back around he did mention us he he did thank the community in it uh for making the ride enjoyable, and he did drop our name in that. Um, or oh, your that's name. cool. But uh, no, I, I I think Stephen, did you want to add some add some fire to that? He mentioned us. Oh, thanks, Justin. Appreciate he it. He did. He did. Um, so cheers, brother. Um, and honestly, just a just a word about Justin. I don't know that many people in the Joe community. I did meet some this year. It was a pleasure meeting uh, uh, ba- uh, Joe Battlelines, Fred. But, no, Justin is a guy that took a stand, and I, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so big ups to you, brother. Uh, cheers. And uh, you didn't lose, Joe. We're still here. No, and I'm not convinced that he's walked away completely. I mean, uh, maybe it's time for a culling. Maybe, you know, th- there are so many little items populating his world or all of our worlds and Mm. you tend to lose perspective it's like am i just chasing the next thing do i yeah this is the point i've I've been trying to make like sometimes you need to distill which items and which properties really truly get you and get you hyped uh that's why I fell off the the modern era wagon because you know in the in the long race that is my collection all other iterations of GI Joe have fallen by the wayside in favor of a vintage, vintage. purity mm. because so much of my excitement about this toy line is wrapped up in nostalgia it is impossible to disassociate and I just will never have the same nostalgia buzz that I feel uh, for the old O-ringers. Dumpy as their proportions may be and fuddy-duddy as they may be, they just are fun. They're a play system that Solid. that has been with me all my life. I was born in 1984 in the thick of things, as it were, well, when it comes to G.I. Joe. 
it's always been with me. Even in the years where there was no new product, like here in South Africa, we didn't treat those as years with no new product. It just meant you had to get more creative as to where you found GI Joe because there was yeah. still a lot of backstock littering the country that you would just kind of stumble well, upon. Stumble <laughs> upon, and then yeah. once that dried up, eBay took off. So there's been a continuity of Vintage Joe right the way through my life, and I hope that it continues. I hope that I am still collecting. A real American hero, 1982 to 1994, till the day I die. <laughs> I, w I would Hi. like to add that I'm not in too many fandoms when it comes to action figures, but I would wager that G.I. Joe fans share their collections in, a, in as creative a fashion as I think any fandom, which, you know, all goes back to being the smartest fan base. But, no, I, I think that I, I like it when people flex their collections online and – Maybe someday they give them to somebody else and they, they share them with the world, you know? Yeah, you know? well, two things i got to add, uh, I would like to add. One is about the vintage and the modern era uh, situation. For me, the thing that makes modern era difficult is the exclusivity of the modern era product and the value uh, versus, well, the, the value, the actual value of the product. Because, yeah, if I was Mr. Moneybags, uh, I, and I and I even I, I think I speak for a lot of uh, American listeners as well. It's not a cheap set, even if you're earning American currency. So that is a, a, a serious sort of deterrent for me, especially because I don't earn American currency. So and I don't feel that the value that there there is enough value in a lot of the sort of peripheral product that has been released in modern era format. With the exception of the current or the new collectors club exclusives that are coming out with Tiger Force. Blizzard, etc., and that really awesome Zartan. I mean, that stuff's outstandingly awesome, and it does. It, it make I get very envious when I see stuff like that, and I know that I'm not going to be able to get my hands on it. But once again, that's one of the things that it, uh, that has pushed me off the modern era bo uh, bandwagon. I still love the toys. I love modern era, but vintage. It's exactly what Steven said. It is what it is. It's uh, it's always going to be what it is, and it's somehow easier to get your hands on, even if it is rare. It's manageable, you know. That's GI Joe. You know what I mean? That's it's it's a manageable thing, especially if you're a completionist. Uh, you can, you know, there aren't too many um, hard to find Joes in the vintage line. I mean, you know, you got your your Euro exclusive Spirit and your Euro Tiger Four stuff, with the exception of some Stardust, of the Argentina, uh... <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, those things exist, um, but they're sort of manageable to a degree. In fact. Uh, Tiger Force, you know, Euro Tiger Force figures are about a half the price of the figure subscription service, for example. Uh, so that's that's something to to make a note of. And then one of our listeners, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't remember your name, but you did say something really cool about uh, modern era versus vintage. Uh, he was talking about how playing with, uh, like he was like setting up modern era figures or something for for like playing with or whatever. And then he ended up just using vintage because it was somehow just more fun. Like he can appreciate all the articulation and everything that's been added to modern era and all of the 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 neatness that's been added to it. But it's kind of there was just something about playing with the vintage that was just simpler and quicker, and you, it just worked out better for him. And and that was quite cool to read. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I think you may have replied to that, um, Steve. But yeah, I'm just saying like I that, that I was never want to fan the flames of this division 
Yeah, because this I mean, is it's a serious division. Joe. You know, yeah. no, no, no one embraced the new sculpt era, for instance, over and above the vintage. Yeah. But now that there are modern, super cool, you know, like current G.I. Joe action figures that make the old guys look decidedly old school. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to use that as a very PC term, you know, to not be de- derogatory to vintage figures. Um, Unfollowed. Uh, well, whatever. Old school. No one can take offense from old school. Anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we've got this this dichotomy and both of them equally compelling, it's very, very divisive. I hate using that yeah. word. That word gets used a lot. But, uh, yeah, it's a it's a predicament that split the fandom and, and, and gets people's tail feathers ruffled, man. I've, I've had to back away from debates in the past because I felt myself, you know, my rankles getting, getting, yeah. <laughs> getting higher and higher. I think we can all agree that the modern era wild weasel head is too small. We're all on the same side. <laughs> At the end of the day, yeah, it's all G.I. Joe. Uh, his head should be gigantic. Isn't that right, Cujo? Yeah, like super big. That's right. <laughs> Exaggeratedly big. I'd like to shout out Ryan Sweeney, who is eagerly anticipating the release of this podcast, who just hit us up on Facebook. Love you, guy. He says, <laughs> oh, man, it made me laugh while you were speaking, Paul, so I have to share it. He says, so I'm at work looking through some spreadsheets and I decided to listen to some Joburg on Podbean and I look back for some old episodes and what do I choose but episode 69 and now people are looking at me because all I can do is laugh at the stuff you guys said. <laughs> Best line was from me. <laughs> yeah, eventually I, I do land a few jokes. Um, yeah, Best line was from Steve. It's been so long since I had sex, I forgot who gets tied up. <laughs> you guys make the day better. Thanks. Hey, oh, thank you, oh. Ryan. Uh, a listener from uh, way back when, and also someone who, who contributed materially to our GeoFundMe. And yeah, G.I. Joeberg salutes you, man, and everyone out there. Anyone listening to our little message in a bottle, our little little love letter to this awesome hobby. Thank you. Thanks for keeping it up, man. We hope you enjoy this stuff as much as we enjoy doing it, because in my old, cynical adult years, this is how I play with my toys now. <laughs> I debate about which tank would win with my two buddies online. You see, but that's that's cooler than debating over modern era versus vintage. You know, at the end of the day, it's all G.I. Joe. We have lots of G.I. Joe toys. I'm glad that there's modern era because now peop now it's uh it's uh diluted it a little bit so it's easier for me to get vintage. Awesome. Um I would like to add a new feature to our podcast. It's not going to be a regular feature, but something that I'd like to bring in every now and then. And it I'd like to call it Awesome G.I. Joe customs I've seen in the last few weeks. And that award for this episode goes to Bart Simon and he's beautifully armored Iron Grenadier dude. Uh, I hope I got that right, Bod. What, the medieval knight? Yes, he's like Holy done it up. shit. Yeah, it looks so right. It's like it's like what Budo does for, for samurai armor and G.I. Joe scale. Uh, Bod Simon's knight custom 
has has done it for knights. <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know exactly which parts he's used. Um, I know that it's an Iron Grenadier head and that there's a um, a Nemesis Enforcer head that he's used as well as the alternate head for it. Uh, in fact, I think a lot of it could be Nemesis Enforcer parts from the modern era. It is stunning. You guys should check it out. It just looks great. It's just a great custom and it's a really awesome idea. And... Um, I'm sure he would appreciate the the love. So if you go and check it out, you can see it. He has posted it on our G.I. Joburg page as well, um, on our Facebook page and our um, private group. So if you are a part of our private group, uh, by all means, go and check it out. If you're not, it's very easy to get in. Just answer the very simple G.I. Joe-related question and, uh, you know, uh, survive our background check. And you, too, can be part of G.I. Joburg's uh, private <laughs> Facebook group. Um but yeah, so that is Paul's awesome custom that he's seen for G.I. Joe recently. Um, and, some, and that's a feature I'd like to bring in quite a bit because I'm seeing lots of fantastic customs on Instagram and on our Facebook and around. And I think these guys definitely need some kind of spotlight put on them because firstly, it's not easy to um, do customs. It takes a lot of work. It's a, it's a skill-based thing. And secondly, it takes a lot of courage to take apart a toy to turn it into another toy God knows I can't do it. I can't uh, break a toy to make a toy uh, because those things are too damn expensive for me. <laughs> and uh, as you know, we love customs here on G.I. Joburg. We have a fantastic Bitter Ender custom that was entered into JoeCon. You will see him on the video that has just been released. Or well, you've probably we seen him customs. on the video. So, uh, yeah. So go and check that out. We love customs. We hard customs. Uh, custom figures. I don't know how much we love actual customs. Anyway, although I made one of the customs officials laugh at the uh, airport, she was great. She she giggled, and then she was like, "Oh no, she's not allowed to do that." <laughs> so, moving along, I think that brings us awesome. uh, full circle for this episode. Full force. Sorry. Full force. <laughs> full circle. Full, full circle. I don't know. Time to time to put the tanks in reverse. Oh, I also got a reverse gear, man. You guys got nothing. Nothing. Stop it. You're sitting targets. Yes, it's been great. It's been fun. The poll will be live as you are listening to this. So check out Twitter. Check out Facebook. Check them both out if you want to vote twice. Make sure your tank rises to the top of the pile. And if you are a tanker... Let us know. Yeah, please. Jeez. And I mean, actual tanker. Like, if you are in the military and you're, if you're a serviceman and you've served in, in an armored platoon or whatever, please, or by all if means. If you've ever yeah. fired an anti-tank weapon, I mean, like, tell us how likely it would penetrate what, you know, give us some specifics on armored defeating technology and, and yeah, I'll give your vote extra weight. <laughs> And also, in closing, if you haven't checked out our Road to Jokon and you love us, well, check it out. Parts 1 and 2 are currently published. Part 3 will be out a week from now. Yep, uh, if you enjoy yeah. uh, road trip comedies, it's worth checking out. <laughs> <laughs> or just a unique take on the final Jokon. I mean, yeah. Three South African boykies with very wide eyes. 
And I think we actually feature you in part two, Kujo. Mm. I don't know. I'll have to see that. <laughs> yeah, you definitely... Uh, I'm like Firefly. It's always, it's always smeared. <laughs> <laughs> don't remind me. Well, of all the ways that you could have been debuted, Kujo, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Get out of here. Cheers, fellas. Bye-bye. See you later. And stuff.